This is a message from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. Grace Church is affiliated with Sovereign Grace Ministries. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. The speaker for this message is Craig Cabanis, the senior pastor of Grace Church. We have for some time now been in a series called Empowered, and uh, it's talking about, we're studying 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, and uh, we've been studying spiritual gifts, though we camped for uh, quite a while in uh, chapter 13 on the topic of love. And if you'd like to do some uh, further follow-up study on that chapter, which I'd recommend, I want to recommend a book that we have at the Resource Center called Loving the Way Jesus Loves by Phil Riken. Loving the Way Jesus Loves. And, and uh, what Phil Riken did was he took um, he took uh, 1 Corinthians 13, which we just studied, went into a lot of depth, a uh, very good study of 1 Corinthians 13. I benefited from it in the sermon preparation that I did. And then he takes each characteristic mentioned in 1 Corinthians 13 and goes back and demonstrates how that character quality is found in the life of Jesus. So he takes 1 Corinthians 13, bounces back to the Gospels, and gives a wonderful portrait of Christ. So I want to let you know about that and recommend that. It would be great for devotional reading. So chapter 12, we talked about spiritual gifts. Chapter 13, we talked about love. And now we're to chapter 14. And chapter 14 is 40 verses on the spiritual gift of prophecy and speaking in tongues. I'd like to welcome all the guests here today. <laughs> because I can identify the guests. The guests right now are the ones who are looking for the nearest exit. <laughs> and uh, just in case they pull out snakes. He, he just said something about 40 verses on speaking in tongues. So um, you may be a guest here. You may not even consider yourself a Christian. And you're here today and you're thinking, did he just say we're going to talk about speaking in tongues? And that's a bit awkward. I I want to help you be at ease. If you're a guest here, maybe you're not even a Christian. There's someone here that feels more awkward than you. And that's a person that invited you today to be here on the first Sunday in our six and a half year history that I've taught on speaking in tongues. So (laughs) this was the Sunday you came and uh, we are glad that you are here and it is no accident. I'm not apologizing for the subject matter at all, but I am acknowledging um, based on our modern understanding and what we've seen uh, and probably misunderstood many of us about this gift, that it is obviously something that is unusual, unfamiliar, And uh, the good news is that there's 40 verses that sort of explain this to us. And here's what I find fascinating, is that there is no spiritual gift mentioned in the Bible that receives this kind of explanation. I mean, there's no passage of Scripture that gives details on what I'm doing right now, teaching, gift of teaching. There's no passage of Scripture that gives you 40 verses explaining what's the nature of teaching, what's the purpose of teaching, how should it occur, when should you start, and when should you stop. Uh, I mean, all this is talked about with prophecy and tongues. So there's a lot on it. So we don't have to speculate. Uh, There will be some mystery, things we don't understand. I'll be definitely playing the mystery card at number of times when I don't know what it means. But there's a lot on here. So we're safe. We're not just going uh, by some spiritual experience that some guru guy had. That Let's all talk about that. We've got a lot of detail about what God thinks and what God teaches and how what God's plan is 
for these gifts that may be unusual to many of us, prophecy and tongues. So here's the approach. We're not going to take 40 in one day. Uh, I'm really going to look at the first five verses today because that's going to explain kind of the definition of these gifts, uh, prophecy and tongues. And uh, I hope you brought a Bible. I put on the city this week. Please bring a Bible because I'm going to look ahead to other places in the chapter. So I'm going to spring forward a little bit and then come back, that sort of approach. Um, And so we'll just try to go phrase by phrase, look at the language, understand it, and then we'll do two more messages throughout 1 Corinthians 14. So you've got two more opportunities to bring your friends and your guests uh, and your, your unbelieving friend. Uh, why wait to Easter? Get them here next week. Every, every word of Scripture reveals the Savior to us in His glorious truth. So there's not one Sunday that's better than another. They're all time to celebrate the Lord. Also, I want to make a point is some, some sermons, you know this intuitively, but I I just want to explain this. Some sermons are sort of exhortations, and they're big, and they're visionary, and they're just supposed to give you a huge grasp of something, and you leave motivated. And other sermons are more line-by-line teaching, explanatory, what we might call didactic, meaning teaching. And uh, these are going to be a little bit more in that line, because there's a lot in here that's weighty and meaty and uh, that we want to kind of weigh in on a little bit. So that'll be, that will be kind of the approach as we walk through this. So let's read 1 Corinthians 14. Actually, I'm going to start with the last verse of 13, 13, 13 through 14, 5. Now, faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this passage of Scripture, and we thank you that your will and your plan is that the church may be built up. We just read that, and we know that's your will. So we pray in the, in the coming minutes here that you would build us up, teach us, help us to understand. Lord, I pray that we could all set aside preconceived uh, notions or experiences that we may have, and we just submit ourselves to the Scripture today. We believe the Scripture is authoritative. We submit ourselves to it and ask you to teach us and direct us and to change us and to empower us. And Lord, by all means, to give us all gifts that you desire for us to have as a church and as individuals today. So Lord, uh, have your way. Show us the Savior in a fresh way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, it's interesting. The reason I read 1313 is because Paul makes a seamless transition here. It's, it's a seamless transition. There's not even a speed bump along the way from talking about love to talking about spiritual gifts and particularly prophecy to start with. So he says in 1313, faith, hope, and love abide. He's been talking about love. And then he says, pursue love. 
and to earnestly desire these spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So he talks about gifts in chapter 12, love in chapter 13, and he brings them together in 14.1, saying to pursue love, which he's just talked about, and desire the spiritual gifts. And the reason he says these together in the same verse is because the purpose of spiritual gifts is to express the love of God. It's to express the love of God to other people. That's why he gives them, and that's why he talks about love. They're not for just one's own personal experience. They're not just to to have uh, some kind of a mystical uh, event. They are to build up the church, and that is an expression of God's love. And so because he is so motivated that the Corinthians love each other, because they don't, they're divided. Um, And on this topic, the spiritual gifts have divided this church. Corinth. And they are particularly given to speaking in tongues. And so he is coming from the very beginning and he's painted this picture of what love looks like. And he's saying, now I want you to earnestly desire gifts for sure. Pursue love, desire gifts. The pursuit is not gifts. The pursuit is love, desire gifts, but especially that you may prophesy because this is a way of expressing the love of God within the church to build up the people of God. Why the emphasis in the verses we just looked at, why the emphasis on prophecy over tongues? They're really into tongues. That'll be very clear in the next three weeks, today and the next two weeks. They're really into speaking in tongues. He's really promoting prophecy in their midst, speaking prophetic words. Why this emphasis on prophecy over tongues in the church? An emphasis on prophecy over tongues when the church is gathered. Why is this? That's really what these five verses are about. Why prophecy is a way of expressing love in the church uh, in a way that uninterpreted tongues is not. So that's what I want to answer for the time we have this morning. Why the emphasis on prophecy over tongues in the gathered church? First of all, because of the nature of the gifts. Because of the nature of tongues and of prophecy. He starts off talking about their nature, and that will explain why he prefers one over the other in the church. First of all, number one, the nature of the gifts tongues is speech to God, not speech to the congregation. Tongues is speech to God, not to speech to the congregation. Now, why does he say tongues? Tongues is simply the word that could be a word that could be translated languages. That's what it means. We occasionally say that as well, don't we? If you're from Mexico, your mother tongue is what? You're not when you say that you're not talking about ah, that thing. You're talking about your language. So, if you're from Mexico, your mother tongue is Spanish. Your native tongue is Spanish. So, tongue means languages. So verse 2, the one who speaks in a language, and we're going to see it's a language not known to the speaker, but for one who speaks in a language speaks not to men, but to God. So it is a God word, a vertical speech. When I say vertical, I mean towards God as opposed to horizontal, which is speech to the congregation. So the first thing we learn about tongues, it is speech to God. We see that later in the chapter. Look down at verse 28. Chapter 14, still talking about tongues, he says, If there is no one to interpret in the church, let each of them, the tongue speaker, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. 
So there he's, rec- he's saying that if there's no one to interpret, you may speak in tongues in church, just don't do it where anybody can hear you. It's between you and God. But even there, what's the point? That it is speech to God. We could even call it prayer. When we think of speech to God, we normally think of prayer. That's, in fact, what Paul will call it. Look at verse um, 14. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. He's saying I can speak to God from my spirit. My mind is unfruitful. That is, I don't understand what I'm saying. I don't understand the language. But I am speaking to, I am praying to God. So Paul himself calls this prayer. So the first point he's making of why he desires prophecy instead of tongues in the gathered church is because tongues is speech to God. Prophecy, we're going to find out, has a different aim. Number two, tongues is unintelligible. Unintelligible. That means people can't understand it. The speaker and the hearers don't understand what's being said. Look at verse two. Again, one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him. No one understands him, but he utters mysteries in his spirit. So he, no one understands. He's uttering mysteries. They're mysteries to him. They're mysteries to those gathered. They're not mysteries to God because he's speaking to God. God gives us gift. God understands. But it is unintelligible to those around. Obviously, God understands. Paul's going to go on and say that this speech is not only prayer, but it, it could also be praise. Or thanks. Look a, look a little bit ahead there to verses 15 and 16. We'll cover all this next week, but I'm just making references. He says, what am I to do? I will pray with my spirit. That's praying in tongues. Or I will pray with my mind. That's praying with understanding. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Verse 16. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? Uh, Verse 17. For you may be giving thanks well enough. So Paul is saying it's not understandable now, you may be giving thanks to God. You may be praising God. He uses the word thanksgiving, but those around you can't understand. So it's praise to God. The one around you does not understand what's being said. Tongues are unintelligible to those around. So this, this gives us a little bit of a basis, this quickly in, to sort of frame a definition just on these, I don't know, five, six, seven verses we've looked at. We can sort of get an idea of what this speaking in tongues is that Paul is talking about. It's a spiritual gift. He says pursue spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. Now he's into talking about tongues. It's a spiritual gift that enables a person to pray to God or to praise God or to thank God in a language that he or she does not know. It's a spiritual gift that enables a person to speak to God, thank God, pray to God, worship God, whatever these phrases are, thanksgiving, that, that in a language that he does not know. It is not speech directed to the church. And that's the big point here. It's not speech directed to the church. So kind of the old school idea of a message in tongues where someone gives a tongue and then someone interprets it and this is a message to the congregation is not what Paul's talking about in the Bible. I was recently at a church and uh, went with my son to a church, to a different church. It wasn't on a Sunday morning, but uh, I was at a church and someone got up, was given a microphone, 
And uh, this person got up on a microphone and started speaking in tongues. And uh, then this person interpreted the tongue. And uh, when he interpreted the tongue, it was not a message to God. It was a message actually to the pastor. It was a message of encouragement to the pastor. And um, I don't question the man's sincerity. He may be very sincere, probably more godly than I am. I don't question any of that. Um, I didn't even question whether the tongue was legitimate or authentic or real. That, that, I have no questions about that. I don't know. Uh, but what I do question is the interpretation that I heard, because it was not prayer to God, praise to God, thanksgiving to God. It was not a word to God. It was a horizontal word when interpreted to the congregation and particularly to the pastor. That's not what Paul has in view here. That would be edifying for everybody. Um, but that's not what he has in view. What he has in view is Godward speech. Okay, so we're looking at what are the nature of the gifts? Why does he prefer prophecy to tongues in the congregation? Nature of the gifts. Tongues is speech to God, not the congregation. Tongues is unintelligible, apart from interpretation. It's unintelligible. Number three, prophecy is a message to the congregation, to the people. Look at verse three. Verse two, remember, one who speaks into a tongue, a tongue speaks to men, not to God. Verse three, on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So, prophesying is speaking to the congregation, and it's intelligible. What does that mean? It means, well, it's, it's in the language that everybody understands. It's in a common language, or it's in a language maybe that could be translated. You know, you've seen folks with the headphones and an interpreter because they know the language, not a spiritual gift, but they know the language. So, but it's, it's understandable to everybody. It's horizontal speech. Now, prophecy, the word prophecy literally means to speak for, to speak for. It doesn't mean predict the future. It literally means to speak for. So the idea is that someone would, in a sense, speak for God, that the Lord would give someone an idea, a thought, an impression, and that they would speak that to the congregation. That would be a Prophecy. It's not, like I said, it's not necessarily related to foretelling the future. He doesn't say anything about foretelling the future in this chapter. But he does talk about speaking forth something from God that could build up the church. So here's a very simple definition that I have, I've benefited from over the years from Wayne Grudem, who's written a lot about this in his systematic theology. If you've read that, he's got an excellent material on the gift of prophecy in there. This is a very um, demystified explanation of that gift. This is what he said. Prophecy is telling something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. And we'll see later the spontaneous part um, later in the chapter. But telling something that God has brought to mind. That demystifies it. That democratizes it a lot. Because a lot of people say, oh, I've probably had that experience. Being in a trance and channeling God, that I've not done. And we don't encourage you to do that. But having God brought something to mind that I spoke and encouraged others, that I can relate to. And so that really demystifies the experience. Paul's going to later say, you can all prophesy. Why? Because you don't have to have an Isaiah, Jeremiah, Old Testament sort of experience. The spiritual gift of prophecy in the New Testament, as Paul is talking about here, 
really appears very different than what we think of as a prophet or someone giving an Old Testament prophecy. Um, in two weeks, I'll, I'll really spell out, because the text is going to spell out some things that I think are different. But let's just talk a little bit about that right now. In the Old Testament, a prophet, a recorded prophet, an anointed prophet, especially someone who we have their recorded words, we're speaking the very words of God. When Jeremiah is giving a prophecy and it's recorded in Scripture, it is the very inerrant authoritative word of God. So when you hear that, you obey that. We have it in our scripture. We're called to obey that. When Jeremiah is speaking and is being recorded in the Old Testament prophecy, it wasn't measured against scripture. It was scripture. He was in the office of an Old Testament prophet anointed by God to speak the very word of God. They were authoritative. But this is different. We're going to see in a couple Sundays, Paul's going to say, weigh what is said. Consider what's said. You don't weigh what Isaiah says, you obey what Isaiah says. Actually, you don't, know, you don't weigh what Paul says when he's writing here. You obey it. It's authoritative as well. The apostles are authoritative in the New Testament as they write Scripture. But he says they are to be weighed. Secondly, later in this chapter, he's going to say, you can all prophesy very, one by one. You can all prophesy. He's telling the Corinthians they can prophesy. There is no way he's talking about the very words of God. A church where people are drunk at the Lord's Supper in the meeting, a church where people are suing one another, a church that is, in essence, celebrating an incestuous relationship because of freedom of grace, I suppose. Are you telling me that these folks are standing up in the meeting and speaking the very authoritative word of God, like Isaiah or... Jeremiah or Micah, Hosea. Well, of course not. Of course they weren't. But they were, as fallen sinful people, could speak an impression, an idea, an encouraging thought that God gave them that could build one another's up. A word that would need to be evaluated by the measuring rod of Scripture. No one in Corinth is standing up and speaking the equivalent of Scripture. They're speaking words that must be evaluated by Scripture, must be placed under the authority of Scripture, must not be shared if it doesn't line up with Scripture, or must be corrected if it is shared and it doesn't line up with Scripture. So there's a difference between the Old Testament authoritative prophecy and the New Testament. So it is a word to people. The person who prophesies, verse 3, speaks to people for their upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation is what he says. So something that God brings to mind that encourages others. And because it's not a direct word, authoritative word from God, I don't think we should act like it is. And I don't think we should speak like it is. So when we've had prophetic words here, um, you know, we have not encouraged people, I can't ever think of it happening, of someone changing their voice or demeanor. You know, you meet them out there, hi, how you doing? And they get up the mic, oh, the Lord says, you know, you don't, we don't need a booming, we don't need to do God, act God, play God, and add some kind of authority. We don't need to say, thus saith the Lord. Uh, It's not necessary for me to get up and say, thus saith the Lord, because that's the prophetic speech of an Old Testament prophet, and no one's doing that. And so it could be confused. I don't think it's necessary for us to speak in the first person, um, as if it's a word from, uh, if it's a word from God. So I think we can say, um, <clears throat> I believe the Lord would encourage those today who are um, grieving. 
And then I made that up. That's not a prophetic word. But I believe the Lord would encourage those today who are in grieving, and he, he would encourage you to fill in the blanks. We don't need to say, Thus saith the Lord, in my midst, among my people, there are those who grieve us today. We don't need to do that. It's just unnecessary. It communicates um, something that it's not. Something that it's not. So you guys get the point? It's something that the Lord brings that would be encouraging. So, what is the nature of the two? The first is tongues is to God. Tongues is unintelligible. Prophecy is to people. Prophecy is to is intelligible. Secondly, let's look at the results of the gifts. That's kind of the nature of the two. And then Paul talks about the results of the gifts. Why would he encourage prophecy over tongues? Well, because they bring a different result. That's why he encourages prophecy. They bear a different fruit. They have a different result among the people. Prophecy builds up the church. Look at verse 3. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding. What does that mean? Upbuilding means to build up. That's seminary right there, baby. I tell you. <laughs> it's got my money's worth. Upbuilding means to build up. There it is. A lot of folks don't catch those kind of nuances in Scripture. <laughs> Be careful. You need to leave that to the, to the trained professionals. Uh, upbuilding means to build up. It's what it means. It means to build up. Or the more religious word we use sometimes is to edify. But that's edify means to upbuild or to build up. And so what Paul says is that when someone gives a prophecy in the church, somebody gives a prophecy in the small group, somebody gives a prophecy when the group is gathered and praying together, when someone, when the Lord puts something on their mind and they speak for God, not inerrantly subjected to Scripture, but they speak something that the Lord lays on their heart, puts on their mind, an impression that He gives, that what happens is the church is built up. It is, it is strengthened. It is edified. That's what happens. It matures the church. It, it has an effect of not tearing down. There is so much speech that tears down the church. And it's come from my lips and it's come from your lips. There's so much speech that is judgmental and harsh and critical and hopeless and unbelieving and self-righteous about the church It's possible to tear down with our language, and we are all to speak edifying words. But Paul says here that God has given a gift that has a particular goal of building up, not tearing down the people of God, but building them up. And don't we need that? Need that. So he says it's upbuilding. The person who prophesies not only speaks for their upbuilding, number two, I'm still in verse three, he speaks for their encouragement. This word literally means to be called alongside. To be called alongside. You ever had someone where you're, you're maybe you're troubled, or maybe you're crying, you're upset, you're obviously grieving, depressed, fearful, and someone comes alongside you. I'm, I'm there with you. I'm for you. Well, what he's saying is God basically comes alongside the church through the gift of prophecy. And gives them encouragement. Now this word encouragement is translated in the New Testament different ways. Sometimes it's translated comfort. Sometimes it's translated exhortation. But the point is this, that the Spirit comes alongside the church and communicates some kind of truth that gives them courage. 
Encourage means to give courage. Gives courage. Comforts, exhorts. Comes alongside the person, the church, the people that are wavering and strengthens, exhorts. And what a wonderful gift. What a wonderful benefit. What a wonderful fruit of this gift. So, upbuilding, encouragement. And the last one he says here is consolation. Speaks to people for their consolation. Now, this word uh, is usually translated comfort. That may be how it's translated in your translation if you don't have an ESV. I'm reading from the ESV, but it means comfort. He's saying that prophecy is a means by which God comes along grieving people, sad people, fearful people, lonely people, depressed people, hopeless people, and comforts. I mean, this shouldn't be any surprise. The Holy Spirit's called, named, the Comforter. And when when these types of words are spoken, a prophecy, when these types of words are spoken, those folks experiencing those circumstances or, or the church that's experiencing those types of things are comforted, consoled, encouraged, strengthened. See, here's the reality. God knows every need of every person in this room today. He knows every every need. And he knows what needs will be addressed in 1 Corinthians 14, which was on the docket to teach from today. But he also knows needs that won't be addressed directly from 1 Corinthians 14 today. And what I've been amazed at over the years, whether it's in a living room in a small group uh, or whether it's on a Sunday morning, is that we might be singing to the Lord, focusing on Him, and the Lord will just graciously um, insert Himself in the middle of that and address some people in the church with encouragement. He can do that in a preached message, too. There's been times where something spontaneously come to mind and I share it in some... I say, wow, God spoke to me. And it's nowhere in the notes. Just something that came. God can do that. Or you're praying. I think this can even happen in prayers. A group of people praying. And, you know, I feel like the Lord laid this on my heart. And you speak it. And then you pray it. And the same thing happens. You didn't know. The Lord knows. The Lord knows every need here. And he will address that. If we're making room and giving opportunity, he will address those needs at various times with comfort. David Garland uh, wrote in his commentary about this passage. I love this image he gives. He says, Prophecy brings comfort which strengthens weak knees and jacks up sagging spirits so that one faces the troubles of the life with unbending resolve and unending assurance. He says, God gives resolve and assurance to people. He strengthens their knees. When you feel feeble, He puts you up and gives you strength. And He gives this image of... Uh, uh, jacking up sagging spirits. It's a picture of a jack. If you've ever jacked up a car and you've got a flat tire, you you can't pick up the car and change the tire. Aaron Paul, you can. But the rest of us can't pick up a car. Just thought of that. It would be fair with this illustration. But most of us require a machine, you know, another item to lift the vehicle up. So you put your, you've got your flat car, you put your jack there and you either do that or that, whatever you got, whatever kind you've got, and you, and it, jacks up this sagging car, this flat tires, 
you know, up suspended. That's what prophecy does. His illustration's right. For, it's not every prophetic word, but sometimes it's the sagging spirit of a person. It's the bowed head. It's the despondent heart. We walk in here, week in and week out, beat up by life, experiencing the fall experiencing the effects of the world, the flesh, and the devil. We lose our sight. We get confused. We get off track. Life's not working out the way we want it to. And the Lord at times has this has a number of gifts. The primary way He addresses us is through the preaching of His Scripture when we gather. But He has this other gift as well that He will use at times where He would speak, and as that word comes, the despondent are lifted up. The face is drawn up to see God in the midst of the difficulty, assured of His love and His care. You know what's implicit here? What's implicit here? He doesn't say it explicitly, but what's implicit here is when you gather to worship, when the church gathers, there's going to be discouraged people who need encouragement. There's going to be torn down people that need building up. There's going to be uh, desperate people that need comfort. He's just saying this is who we are when we come together. And the Holy Spirit meets us and helps us. And this is why Paul is arguing for prophecy. This is why he's saying, pursue this. There are people that are beat up and are hurting. And when you stand up, or multiple of you stand up and speak in a language that no one understands, those people go from depressed to at best confused. But they're not consoled, comforted, lifted, built up by God. Prophecy is a way of pointing people to God. Prophecy is a way of pointing people to Christ. Prophecy is a way to, of communicating afresh that Jesus, a reminder that Jesus has died. Jesus is buried. Jesus is risen. Jesus is alive. Jesus is on the throne ruling and reigning. That's all biblical truth, but it calls us to remember that biblical truth and says, lift your eyes to the Lord. He is with you here today. He is here to comfort and encourage and strengthen. Look to Him and rest on Him. God loves His people. And that's why God wants gifts to be used that express His love to His people. And uninterpreted tongues doesn't do that, Corinthians is what he says. Prophecy does. Prophecy builds up the church. What's the fruit of it? Tongues builds up the individual. Look what he says in verse 4. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. That's not a critique of tongues. Saying, he's not saying that's selfish or wrong necessarily at all to, to, for an individual to be built up praying in an understandable language and praising in, in your own understandable language builds the believer up as well. That's a good thing. So he's not saying that's a bad thing, praying to God, thanking to God in this unknown language. Um, That's a good thing. But no one can understand, so other people aren't built up. And he wants gifts that build up the whole church. So he started talking, we started talking about the nature of these two gifts. Why prophecy over tongue, uninterpreted tongues in the gathering? One, their nature. Secondly, he talks about their, the fruit of them, the results of them. The whole church can be built up, consoled, encouraged, edified, strengthened. And then lastly, he 
gives a response to these gifts. How do you respond? Verse 5, I want you all, now I want you all to speak in tongues, Paul says, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. That, that, that proves Paul's not anti-tongues. He's, he's opposed to the way they're using the gift without interpretation in the, verbally in the congregation where people can hear this. Uh, he's opposed to that. He's not opposed to the gift. Look what he says. He says, I, verse, uh, he says in verse 5, I want you all to speak in tongues. Look at verse 18. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Man, that's an incredible statement. You guys think you were into tongues. I'm speaking more than all. All y'all in tongues is what he says. And he's having to have them sit down and two or three at a time. I mean, it just seems like it is tongues of Palooza or something whenever they're gathered. That's the event. And he's saying, tone that down. Now, I want you to speak in tongues. I do it more than all of you. So where does he want that to happen? I think we're going to look at that. He's, he wants that to happen not in the congregation uninterpreted. He wants that to all happen uh, ultimately, in their in, the, in their privacy of their own worship of the Lord, I believe. But anyway, he he desires prophecy over uninterpreted tongues, so that the whole church may be built up. One who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets. Then everybody can understand what was communicated to God. If someone interprets the tongue, then there's an understanding of what was said to God. What was the prayer to God? How was God praised? How was God thanked? that sort of thing, and then everybody could benefit from that. But, but he wants them to pursue this gift of prophecy. All gifts are measured by their ability to build up the church. All gifts are measured by their ability to express the love of God. Every expression of a gift needs to be viewed with loving the people of God. This is what happens, I think, unfortunately, in some of the debates and you know, back and forth over spiritual gifts. I think sometimes it's just easy to concentrate on the trees and uh, just to miss the forest. The, the forest is God loves his people. And the forest is the people of God have a hard life. Many people of God have it far harder than we do. We, we have a lot of luxury here. But, but we still experience the results of the fall. So the people of God go through difficulty. The people of God um, grow weary in their faith. The people of God um, are tempted and feel like giving up sometimes. The people of God wonder sometimes, where are you, Lord? The people of God wonder, do you even hear me? Do you know what's going on? Do you love me? People of God need comfort. The people of God are weak and need to be strengthened. The people of God are fearful and need to get receive courage to be encouraged. These are the people of God, and God loves these people. And when they gather, God wants to build them up. God wants to comfort his people. And he wants to do that by ultimately pointing us to the work of Christ and what he's done for us. That's what the Lord wants to do. So he has created a means, numbers of means, to do that. And one of them is this gift. And I think it's easy to just lose the forest for the tree and, and just be at the tree and maybe picking at one little piece of bark and miss this whole big picture of what God wants to accomplish. Paul's grieved not because these people are just acting loony, 
God's grieved because the love of God's not reaching the people of God through the gifts of God when they're gathered. And he wants everybody to understand God's love, God's purposes. He wants them to understand. So enough with the points that are the, the gift that is unintelligible. He wants to express God's love. That's why we're to eagerly desire gifts. Why? Because God gives them and people need help. People need refreshing. People need strength. They need to have their eyes lifted to see Jesus and the grace of God in him. That's what people need. That's why at the end of this chapter, here's kind of the conclusion of the whole matter. When we get to the end, verse 39, he says, My brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. Two different levels there, right? Earnestly desire. Don't, don't, Don't forbid this other one, but earnestly desire this. I mean, just to say the point another way, if I am desiring your comfort, if I am desiring your encouragement, if I am desiring your upbuilding, then I am loving you. And God will allow us to be loved through one another, in part through this gift, which does those things, upbuilds, encourages, and consoles. What, what, a, what a treasure, what, a, what an expression of the shepherd's heart for the sheep to bind them up and strengthen them and care for them, exhort them, charge them, give them faith for another week when they gather. It's not really about a big controversy. It's about the love of God to his people. And that's why this comes right after chapter 13, and that's why he says, pursue love and eagerly desire that you would be able to prophesy. All of you have that desire. May God build us up, and may he use this gift to do so, may he build up individuals through the gift of tongues, but in the gathered worship, may he build up his church through the gift of prophecy. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you today that you are a God who gives gifts, not just to have some spectacular experience, but because you love us and we need consolation. We need encouragement. We need upbuilding. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit www.gracechurchfrisco.org.